Hello, fellow Gritizens. Do you believe in your ability to navigate life's obstacles, but you're not always sure where to start? Well, lend me your ear, because here on the Grow My Grit podcast, we gather strength and inspiration from real people navigating real obstacles in real time with grit. I'm so grateful for the chance to connect guests and listeners who are ready to know, grow, and show their grit, perhaps best described as one's default settings in the face of obstacles. With our individual grit compass as our guide, one of the biggest opportunities available to each of us is the ability to identify the strengths we already possess and we reliably bring to challenging situations. These insights into ourselves and into others allow us to explore obstacles with renewed passion and purpose. Are you ready? Welcome everyone to the Grow My Grit podcast. I am so delighted to have you here and I'm really excited to get a chance to chat with my guest, Jim Spiru, who is the co-founder of Music Box, as well as an entrepreneur, a music enthusiast, and an educator extraordinaire. Jim, I am so grateful that you've come out to talk and I cannot wait to hear how you define your grit. Well, thank you, Hayes. And uh, as I mentioned to you, yeah, it was a very unique concept, this setting up your grit and people getting to know your grit, your personal grit, as it's very different mm -hmm. from person to person. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you asked me to, to do the exercise. Would you like me to go through uh, my grit? Yeah, I'd love to hear your G-R-I-N-T words that capture your default setting in the face of obstacles. Cool. Okay. So G, I would start with grounded, meaning I'd like to try to get a sense of what's real in this situation. Because sometimes if there's anxiety or fear, it tends to uh, distort your perceptions mm -hmm. of things. So I try to uh, try to get as grounded as possible on what's actually happening versus what's um, perceived mm -hmm. Powerful. to be happening. Mm -hmm. um, resilience, um, I would say is my R in terms of yep. consistently trying to move forward, uh, not to accept obstacles. I, I mean, I see them and I accept them as <laughs> they're there. And uh, I think obstacles are designed to be, uh, you know, move around them. You know, there's there's definitely somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, it would be investigate, try to figure out why this obstacle is there, what is there, wh what has been done to create this situation, what it, maybe what did I do wrong along the way, um, mm -hmm. to really try to assess and discern what's going on and uh, yeah. what is, again, reality versus something that I may have a series of bits of data that is misleading me to certain mm -hmm. outcomes that I think is happening in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, and T, I would say temperament, uh, mm. because when you do have anxiety, fear, and all this other stuff, uh, a lot of emotions build up. And I'd like to I always try to control a little bit of what is happening internally, not to ignore it. Mm -hmm. I acknowledge it's there, but I try to um, focus it in a direction that will cause some kind of positive outcome or some kind of forward progress versus, you know, crawling up in a little ball and uh, being upset about it, you know? So um, I would say, yeah, those are the, my G-R-I-T, my grit that I default to in uh, certain situations. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen it time and time again, where we all like to think that we uh, rise to the level of our ideals, mm -hmm. but many times we fall to the level of our training when it comes to 
high anxiety stress yep. objects. So yep. Yep. Awesome. That's, that's kind that's how I would define my four letters there. Awesome. I love so much of what you shared. In particular, the sense that obstacles are something that you are navigating. So I often have people say, well, why don't you use the word conquer obstacles in my descriptions of things? And to your point, I feel as though a lot of opportunity in the obstacle is you might want to go through it. Maybe you have to go around it. Maybe you're going under it. Maybe you're, but I just like how you spoke to that element of the obstacle is there and I see it, but it's really up to me to decide how I'm going to work around that. So that was a neat um, description. And then your eye, that effort to investigate, I heard you speak to the the contribution that you've made to the obstacle being there in the first place and kind of what role you have in its presence and then what you can learn from it. So I really appreciate that effort to um, be active in it. You're not speaking from the point of it's happening to you per se. You're looking already from, well, how did I, what role could I have played in this obstacle's presence? Not that you always have a role, but if I am part of the the reason it's here, what can I learn from that interaction? So thank you. That's a fun combination of words. Oh, my pleasure. What I'd love to hear from you as well is, do you feel like your words connect? Do you feel like they cooperate or do you feel like they compete with each other? I feel they do connect. I feel they cooperate with each other. I feel I feel some, some of those uh, aspects, specifically the emotion side, um, mm. definitely need to rein that in so I can stay grounded, so I can assess the information, so I can continue to try to move forward. Because I do feel that extreme emotions tend to distort mm. personal perception. Mm. And if you have a distorted vision or view of what's happening, it's hard to investigate and get the right information. It's hard to stay grounded because you're in a the mire of anxiety, fear. Um, but even the positive emotions of of euphoria distorts as well. Yeah. The extremes distort. You may think something's more than what it is, setting yourself up for yeah. other consequences. So yeah. I think both extremes have to be, in my opinion, though if anything would get in the way is that the temperament aspect where I ha whatever emotions I'm feeling, I have to try to keep an even keel on it. And I want to feel it. I want to either enjoy it or even if it's a negative emotion, it ultimately could be used for fuel. I feel emotions are fuel, whether it, to move you forward. So it could be a dream to chase, mm -hmm. a euphoric uh, image to chase, yeah. or a, a really bad nightmare to run away from. Either way, you're moving forward, right? So That's fascinating because what I'm hearing you say is that your temperament, so your T is actually the base of what you're doing. You needed to manage that element of the experience you're having. And from that, once that's in place, that's when the grounding can actually happen. But you can't ground until you've acknowledged the emotions that are in place. You can't investigate till you're at some sort of groundedness. And then as you investigate, you're continuing to rebuild, return, and kind of reassess. So it's neat. The I can totally see that connection. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure. Now, looking at, again, conversation. So the first time I met you in person, I was completely struck by your ability to be present. I felt completely seen. I felt completely heard for the entire conversation. And in my opinion, I'd imagine that giving undivided attention is actually really hard. So I'm curious how your grit words help you commit to making so much space for someone else to show up. Well, I'm genuinely interested in people. I'm naturally curious. and 
in order to investigate or collect data, I have to really pay attention to the person that I'm talking to and being comfortable in the space and letting them know that I'm actually interested in what you have to say. Mm. And being in the studio helps too, because it's kind of like a sound treated room. It seems a little bit intimate, a little bit. And it's a way that other things are blocked out. And it's just uh, you and I talking about whatever it is we're talking about. Awesome. So again, that element of investigating is really important because you're legitimately seeing everyone as a new experience, seeing everyone as a new encounter. And so the most important great word would be investigate, like what's next? What's in this? How am I going to, what am I going to take away? Yeah. So you're curious. Absolutely. And it's, it could go on for hours, the investigative process. It depends on yeah. what are we doing in the conversation? You know, if we're just trying to get yeah. a sense of each other's, what we do, what intrigues us, what you want want to accomplish, say, in your business. Yeah. All of this, all of this involves accumulating data mm-hmm. and information, and not in a cold way, but in a yeah. in a very empathetic human yes. way. Yep. Right. And and the segue to that is that we are all treasure chests in some capacity, but we're also like minefields in that sense. So as you as we learn about each other, part of that effort is it's awkward sometimes or it's hard sometimes. And so being in relationship is a form of an obstacle. So I like how you've referenced a bunch of times that what you're bringing to that experience, the curiosity that you're bringing to that experience is also making space for other people to be who they are, because there's that engagement that may not be as comfortable if you don't think the other person's really listening. So that's a neat, that's a neat framework for that. Love it. Oh my goodness. Well, you totally succeeded at that. I felt totally heard, awesome. totally understood and just really seen. Um, and then I'd love again, going to your grit growth guide, that document that I invite everyone to consider and really speak to their grit words, speak to the values. You actually listed freedom as your first value, as well as your second value on the grit growth Correct. guide. So I believe I get to ask you two questions about that. (laughs) So question number one, which of your grit words is the first one to kick in when you've been denied the freedom that you feel you deserve? And then as an extension of that, can you give us an example of how you would talk yourself through the situation where the freedom you believe is appropriate isn't available for you? Okay. Yeah. So this comes up a lot, you know, as as an entrepreneur, uh, you try to do different things all the time, and mm-hmm. sometimes you come with obstacles. Sometimes they're yeah. municipal obstacles. Sometimes a badge <laughs> tells you you can't do something. You know, mm. sometimes someone in another position of authority says you can't do this or this can't be done. Mm. Um, again, assuming you know all uh, ethical and moral principles are being uh, applied here, <laughs> but many times when I hear I can't do something or I'm not allowed to do something if my first instinct is to to ground myself because you know the the emotional kick in as to why but i want to ground myself to understand okay this person's coming from some certain position i want to try to investigate and understand that position why can't i do this what maybe doing this affects something else in a bigger system maybe there's another cog in the wheel that if I do X, it may affect other things that maybe have consequences that I don't want either. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, yeah, that's my first instinct is to pause, grab myself, try to figure out, okay, why why am I getting resistance here? And then investigate, ask questions. You know? yeah. Yeah. If I don't get 
answers that make sense to me, then I get f- further investigation either makes me proceed <laughs> mm-hmm. or, 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 uh, if, if it makes sense not to, and the, and yeah. the answers have been appropriately answered from my perspective, yeah. then yeah, I would, I would probably not proceed with that mm-hmm. wish, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. but definitely I would say me and authority don't really mix well. You know, I do respect people in authority. Yeah. Yeah. And I do respect their positions. Yeah. However, if they can't articulate their positions yeah. in a way that makes sense, I, uh, I tend to, you know, again, it goes back to assessing the information. It does, if it doesn't make sense, there's not a real reason for it. Then I will try to have a different avenue to get around that obstacle. Yeah. 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 Not necessarily, you know, go through somebody, but <laughs> there, there's got to be a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately what I'm hearing you say in a sense is that truth is really important. And the, again, that ability to hear what's being said, part of that is asking questions that elicit that information. So it's not a, I'm doing it my way or else it's a, you know, the way I'm proposing actually makes a lot of sense. And I'm not quite clear on why you don't see (laughs) the value, the ability, the opportunity that I'm proposing. So that's in itself, again, the obstacle of getting what you want to happen is sometimes just a matter of really being present to what people have in their circumstances. And that allows you to really navigate around what it is that they perceive to be (laughs) the obstacle to giving you what you want. So grounding and investigation are the two that really take you to that place of, yes, I'm going to keep at this <laughs> or no, nope, right. it's not worth investigating anymore. Correct. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. correct. I love I'm, that. Yeah, I love I'm, that. I'm genuinely interested in their position Yep. and I, I'm open to hearing it. Mm-hmm. And I love how you started that example with an entrepreneur, because that is absolutely one of those places where what we imagine is possible doesn't always reflect what's been done before. So it's not always what other people are seeing. And again, that whole realm of, well, no, it hasn't been done or that hasn't been proposed in that way. Doesn't mean it can't be done to your point. I always joke that when I hear can't, um, I hear don't know how. So if you tell me I can't do something, I don't actually believe you. Um, I just believe that I don't know how, or when I teach yoga and someone says, I can't get upside down. You just don't know what to put where. So I like how you spoke to that initial piece of can't is really a perspective. (laughs) And as you collect data, as you investigate, the perspective may shift in a way that serves the original intention. So keep asking questions. Yeah. All right. Looking at that same idea of where you have questions about perspectives or frameworks being put in place, you have had a fascinating mix of careers over the years. And I would love for you to tell listeners how your grit got you through some of those major transitions, in particular, your hard right turn at, at Actuary Station. Tell us about that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I went to University of Waterloo and I took actuarial science. That was my vocation, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really know what it was. My high school counselor um, suggested it. You know, you're good at math, but to make some money, you're going to be an actuary. And uh, I applied, I got in, and uh, after a couple of years, actually working uh, in the corporate space in that area, uh, at a co-op placement, it um, didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. It didn't sit with me well. Um, 
it's quite a few things that happen along the way. There's a gentleman uh, that uh, was older than me that had more experience that I would try to counsel with, get some more data. Hey, <laughs> like what his life is like. He was there for, I think, seven years, you know, something like that. Don't quote me on that. Like that. <laughs> so he was definitely had a, a more more years in that department uh, than me. And it wasn't really a, a place I wanted to go. So, you know, I uh, made my decision based on mm-hmm. what I saw, yeah. who I spoke to. I saw a vision of what I, what I might be like, you know, five, seven years down the road. Um, so I definitely made the decision that uh, this is not a direction I want to go. It didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, I got into the record business. I uh, got got involved in a, a record store chain called uh, Tracks mm-hmm. Records. And um, I was into music, house music specifically. And uh, from there, I... Uh, there's a Mississauga location, there's a Pickering location, Toronto, uh, and uh, went well for a while. And then from there, I went into of course. the nightclub business. <laughs> so, House music. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I got into the nightclub business. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting experience. I had to use my grit a lot in that mm-hmm. one, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of rules, a <laughs> lot of regulations, mm-hmm. far more than I anticipated. Mm. Um, but yeah, the operations of the business were pretty standard, you know, employees, yep. expenses, all that stuff, mm-hmm. everything that I pretty much expected. Yeah. But the, let's just say there's the, the, the legislative process, the legal process, the, um, municipal rules, provincial laws yeah. were, yep. were very cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, after, after about three and a half, four years, I decided to, uh, move on from there, took some time off. Opened up a music school, music box, yes. and a marketing agency here in Oakville called Idea, mm-hmm. and uh, been out, been operating both uh, ever since then. That was about 2012 ish, something like that. Awesome, ten years, happy ten, happy tenth anniversary. That's Thank you awesome. so much. Thank <laughs> you so much. So yes, my grit has helped me through the transition of many of that. You know, the music industry late 2000s, 2005, 2008-ish, yeah. uh, really took a dive as MP3s and downloading mm-hmm. became more rampant. So that business model took a dive and, uh, you know, v- the data was very clear. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no matter yeah. how, how bad I wanted it to stay, you know, the, the, yeah. the data was very clear. So I made a move. Yeah, yep. And I like that. I, I like a lot of things, but I appreciate in your answer, really, you spoke to that element of knowing yourself. So I think your T is really fascinating as the fundamental piece, even the decision to move from actuarial sciences, where you're just because you're good at something and um, do it quite naturally doesn't mean it's where you belong. You essentially recognize that the feeling associated with the thought of the reality that was there. So that temperament and reality kind of said, yeah, I can do this, but it's not going to feel good after a while, or it's not going to be as, there's not as much room to grow. So you're, you're, you're creating that, that conversation between what is it I want to do versus whom do I want to be in that sense. So I like that that's a neat kind of takeaway. And then again, echoing your freedom reference, it sounded like a lot of the decisions were like, 
I don't have enough freedom. Nope, this isn't the right place for me because I don't have enough freedom (laughs) and the freedom to make decisions, freedom to create, which is a neat theme. Again, in a lot of the work you've gone from very science to very art, but still on the scientific end of the art. So it's really interesting to watch here that, that, that underlying theme. Wow. So good. Thank you for all of that. My pleasure. All right. I have another question for you that I think is really going to kind of unpack a few things for listeners and really speak to that art of which I spoke. Um, You've educated and inspired countless artists through your six-phase core music production curriculum at Music Box. I'd love to hear what kind of combination of grit words would you recommend to someone just starting out as a musician or as a DJ? Resilience is key. Mm. resilience is going to be key for that. Any kind of art form that you're, art is very subjective many times. So Mm. uh, rejection is common. Yep. So if you're creating the music you want, the music that you feel represents what you're trying to put out there, that sound, that feel, that vibe, then I would say you stick with it. Mm-hmm. You assess it. Is it, is it truly what it, is it truly you or are you trying to mimic someone? So mm. inspiration versus imitation, there's a fine line there, you know? So, mm. I mean, finding other artists or other people in the past that have done great music, that you like the style and you're inspired by them and you want to try to emulate that style. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at all, yeah. but you definitely got to put yourself into it rather than take their ideas, let's say, or their art and uh, replicate it. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's definitely a difference uh, between that, but I would say, you know, being resilient in terms of learning, you know, writing music is uh, a lifetime process. Yeah. I've heard before sometimes, you know, it could take five minutes to learn a few things, but a lifetime to master these things. And Mm -hmm. because it's the same things over and over again. Yeah. Another thing I would say is uh, staying grounded is for sure, you know, because your emotions are going to be all over the place because you're going to be in love with your music, but there's going to be people that are not going to be in love with your music, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, taking criticism is going to be, you know, just feel it, take it, absorb it. It's like any any kind of uh, hit you take or lifting a weight, you know, if hundred pounds is heavy. If taking criticism is heavy, after you lift a hundred pounds a few times, after you take a few shots, it's not that much, it's not that bad. Mm, doesn't, yeah. doesn't. And if you genuinely try to understand where the criticism is coming from, because many times it's constructive, yeah. maybe it's real, yeah. you know, maybe there, there is something wrong with your chord progression. Maybe there is something wrong with your drums in your song. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. are you willing to look at that and uh, improve your art? Because you definitely mm-hmm. can. I mean, it, uh, yeah. art is a constant improvement. And uh, I've heard many producers talk about that uh, the good music is, and good fidelity in your music is the years in your ears, how much time you know you have devoted to it. Mm. And just like anything else, your ear gets tuned to certain frequencies. Yeah. Whether you're weight training or doing yoga, the more times you do that, your, your muscles get stronger. You get to, you can do these things better and your, your ears get sharper. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say definitely resilience. Yes. Staying grounded. Yeah. Um, keeping your emotions in check and investigate, 
you know, be curious, you know, as to why these, why somebody had the criticism they gave. Now, sometimes the criticism could be, you know, non-substantive. Yep. It could be nothing. It could be, it could be jealousy. It could be something else, yep. but you need to be able to discern that over time, you know, yep. and not take it personally, yep. you know, because it's subjective. You know, uh, you, you like this piece of art. Somebody doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean it's bad per se. Yeah. Yep. And again, what I'm hearing you talk to is that element of subjectivity is so much to bear when it's about, when it's defending a position that's subjective. So I like how you've given a few examples of how it's really important to just like what you like, be who you're supposed to be, and then operate from there versus that imitation sense of really trying to create someone that you're not. Because that in itself is a form of tension. I speak to a lot of clients who are, again, should I pick grit words that I am supposed to be or should I pick the words that reflect who I actually am? And the messaging is always start from where you are. So to your point that you may want to look like a certain artist or be a certain artist or in a professional, you may want to operate like a certain doctor or just this sense of being connected to who you are meant to be versus who you think you're supposed to be is a neat um, a neat battle that we face in ourselves, with ourselves on a regular basis. I love that. Yeah, it's easy to fall into the trap. Very easy to fall into that trap, especially when, because mm-hmm. it's so easy to take it personally if somebody doesn't like your your art because yeah. you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. Like you're burying yourself. Rather. Yeah. So, yeah, very it's vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. But it it helps that 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 exchange of thoughts and ideas and that anxiety that you may feel. You can train yourself to use that at, for energy to to propel yourself forward. Yeah, get better. Awesome. Right, but it is a choice. It is a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. It's an opportunity, and it's hard. And it's hard. And good thing that it's hard. It's hard. Good yep. thing it's hard. Yep. So tell me a little more about tell me and the listeners a little more about the six phases because I've heard you speak to quite a lot of yep. content that you're delivering to students and to artists in general. But I'd love to as a non music i love music per se but as someone not attached to the industry i'd love a sense of the overarching themes or the kind of what what are people learning and in what order how are they learning to do what they love okay yeah so the six phases the first three are production oriented uh phase one two and three Hmm. start from phase one starts as could almost assume like you've never produced any music before now we do we do specialize in electronic music sphere. Yep. Okay. We do teach composition and theory. We teach the musical language, but we apply it to electronic music, house music, okay. dance music, hip hop, pop, drum and bass, okay. stuff like that. So yes. we take those skills and show you phase one, phase two is it, you get more into the professional phase. And then phase three, you polish your skills on more sound and a little more sound engineering, mixing and mastering, uh, the polishing up of the music, giving more professional sound to really start to release and offer your music out there. Mm. Now, during those three phases, that process, uh, you're going to learn a lot of different things about music, arranging music, about sound, a bunch of different things where phase four, five, and six are marketing and business oriented. And there's a little bit of legal mm. jargon in there as well. But it's the curriculum's designed to show you, give you the skills to create the music and then segment those skills to monetize that work. Yes. Because, you know, the big biggest part of musicians that love music and want to do it for the rest of their life, 
when they come in here and they say something like that, I want to do this for the rest of my life. We actually have to show them how to do it for the rest of their life. What that means is yeah. we have to show you how to make money with it. Yeah. We have to show you how to pay bills, how to support a family, how to pay your mortgage, how to pay your 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 basic expenses, how to you know do administrative work because it is there's an entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. that you kind of have to fuse with your art to make money with it yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah, and there's different ways you can gain clients in different areas with those skills, and. From our perspective, the money you make as a musician is the, is the sum of the money you earn with the skills that you have. Not necessarily mm-hmm. making a song, people listening to the song, downloading the song, streaming the song. Yeah. Yes, that 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 that's an aspect of your income, but that's one aspect of your income. Yeah. There's many different ways you can apply those skills in commercials, video games ringtones, mm-hmm. voiceovers. Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can use those the skills and audio that you've gained in the first three phases to monetize them in other areas. So that's basically what the six phases do, okay. you know, to yeah, teach you the skills and then teach you the, the, the skills to monetize that work. So this is where the resilience part comes in because just like any business, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you need to put yourself out there and then offer solid product or service to somebody else that they're willing to pay for. So important. Now, do you find hearing that summary in terms of the first three phases are almost like the, for the people whose dreams it's been to be a musician, it's kind of dedicated to honing the craft. Do you find that people drop off between three and four when phase four is like the, here's the grunt work per se. Here's the behind the scenes stuff that nobody's like, do you have kind of Lots of people take the first three and then the numbers whittle down for four, five, and six? Or what's the yes. what's the ratio of people? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The vast majority take one and two. Okay. Phase three, uh, people, I'd say uh, quite a few people go in there from the from the first two phases. Yeah. But phase four, uh, when we talk about phase four, five, and six, I usually get the, the expression of, wow, that's a lot of work. And it's like, yeah. yes. That's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, it's not, not if, it, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? So, yes. and nothing's guaranteed either, yep. right? So, you know, if you want something worth having, more often than not, it's going to be a lot of work and there's going to be some suffering. Yeah. Some suffering, you know, like yep. Yep. your ego is going to get hit. Yeah. You're, you're going to burn the midnight oil, you know? So many guys that I've worked with had a nine to five. And they built their career eight to 12, mm, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it really depends. And I've had some that were young students and uh, dived into it right away where it was here every day yeah. for two years, yeah. pupping stuff out, yeah. learning. And uh, it's definitely different and everybody can go at their own pace, but uh, it's a business like anything else. Yeah. It needs, you, you need to put in the time and you need to do the work. The administrative work part of running a business that's music centric, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot. And, and that's the part, that's the unsexy part that people yeah. balk on, right? So, yeah, but it is what it is, just like running any other business. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that segue because essentially what you've spent the last few minutes doing is really identifying the ways in which the hard 
work of becoming a professional, becoming successful at what you do is universal. So whether it's six phases of music training, whether it's six phases of law school, medical school, there's this element of, yeah, there's the fun, exciting, kind of the practical, but there's also the behind the scenes, really hard stuff. And your best bet is to keep supporting your learning through programs that are organized and run by people who've been there and had that experience because the work doesn't actually stop. And so one of the best things you can do is be aware of how you do hard things so that you can keep bringing that skill set because the hard things don't actually stop. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah. as, as you said, we, we've brought in people that we've worked with mm-hmm. that are professionals that do it for a living to talk to the students. And um, definitely pre-COVID, pretty much once every six weeks, once every two months. And we just had a gathering here. And... Uh, Show them that they're real. These are real people. This this is this happens, and everybody has their own path. But it is a business like anything else, and mm-hmm. it uh, it takes a lot of work. And the six phases okay. is when you finish the six phases, you're really at the beginning of that journey, really. Yeah, you know, because applying that in the real world and getting real results, and then checking in, asking questions. Yeah, I had this scenario, this happened, and you just navigate. Ask questions, navigate. Yeah, you know, keep your emotions in check. Yeah, and uh, keep moving forward. That's it. That's so fantastic. What I'd love for you to do as we conclude is give me a sense of your ideal student. So you've spent so much time again speaking to what what learning is required and what learning is available as we're continuing to move through these phases. Is there an ideal student for Music Box? Is there a range of ideal students who's going to really, really benefit from? just being part of the programs that you offer? So I would say our, our key audience in, in the range of say 22 to 40 yep. years old. Okay. Um, but it's people that have, have a passion for electronic music specifically. So I do want to emphasize that our niche is in the electronic music space. Awesome. Um, that's where my experience lies yep. uh, since like the early 90s. So mm-hmm. it's been a while. So that's where I feel... I have the most input and be most effective with students, but they have to have a real passion and a love for it. They have to really, really yep. be into it yep. because having the the passion to create it is, is going to be the fuel to take them f- past at least the first three phases yep. and then get to the point where they can really appreciate a good quality sound, putting together a good EP, a good album, and then really be proud of that work to push it out to the rest of the world because we do distribute to 100, 150 platforms around the world. So we put it out there and uh, we track the results, but you're constantly producing, constantly producing content. Content is king in this industry and you're producing content for yourself, for others. Uh, There's so many different ways to monetize your work at that point. So a key uh, characteristic is gonna be a person that is passionate about the music Mm-hmm. but is willing to go through the grind because yeah. it is a grind. And that's, that's the paradox of the industry, you know, that uh, you, you, you have to put a lot of effort in the beginning uh, and then the results tend to come later, just like any business. Yeah. You got to put a lot of work the first two years, three years, yeah. you know, and you may not get a return until, you know, maybe two years in, three years in, four years mm-hmm. in. But mm-hmm. once you, once you're in that cycle and you can see where the, the monetization is coming from, you just turn up the dial. Yeah. But until you get to that point, you know, whether it's 
making music, touring, ghostwriting for others, assistant writing in others, music for corporations that need your music for their commercials. Yeah. Um, it's it the, the the list is virtually endless. But doing the work to find the people that appreciate your music, but also to find the clients that are willing to pay for your work in the studio to produce products that they need yeah. as well. Yeah. So there's there's a double edged sword to that. Oh my gosh. And again, the as someone who as a connoisseur of music, I'm so grateful that there are programs like yours out there to encourage continuing generations of people who may not even know where to start. So I just want to echo that element of appreciation for all the work that you're doing as that educator extraordinaire to really support people as they really dig into how do you produce without exhausting yourself? Because that's what I'm taking away, that there's a lot of draining energy required to then produce something that is so heart-centered and flowing like music. So I just I just want to really thank you for that kind of summary of the industry and for making such clear parallels about how it's really hard to just do something you love. That's another big takeaway, that doing something you love as a profession, as an entrepreneur is super hard. And I would encourage everybody listening to check out musicbox.ca. That is going to give you with two X's, musicboxxx.ca, to get a lot more information about the amazing programs that Jim and his team are operating as well, just to get that overview. Like you said, there are possibilities are really endless, but so are the obstacles that are going <laughs> to show Absolutely. up along the way. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much yeah, for that. It's, it's worth it. It's worth it's it. It's worth it. Yeah. We're going to fill the show notes with examples of people that you've supported over the years, just to give a little bit of content and stick some websites in there. Cause I know you have a lot to offer and thank you so much for spending time with us here on the Girl Migrant podcast. <laughs> oh, Hayes, thank you so much. I, uh, Really appreciated the offer to come out and I was really excited about doing this. So thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Have a great evening. Thank you, Jim. My pleasure. <laughs> Have a good night. The Grow My Grid podcast hosted by me, Hayes Shepmeyer, is a production of Gritty Guru Company. Technical production by Niall Fines. Music by Peter Willis. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. For more information about my book, no grow and show your grit self-discovery made simple please visit growmygrit.com follow me at growmygrit and share this podcast on social media leave a review take a screenshot of the homepage, and send it to friends or family members who will benefit from more grit <laughs>